0: Welcome to the Athlete Performance Education Podcast, where we aim to educate, empower, and excel athletes and coaches to the next level of performance. Welcome back to another episode of the APE Show. It's another day in lockdown. It's a little bit sunnier again today, which is nice. It is something to be positive about, but it is another opportunity to get another podcast out to our loyal and lovely listeners. Now I've had a few people ask about this in the past, some of our previous athletes, some of our athletes who have experienced it, as well as a lot of coaches who have seen us practice this work in the past. And that is DNS. So for today's topic, we're going to be diving into DNS, what it is, how does it relate to sports performance, which I'll try to explain without using too many visuals. So have your ears listening and cued in for my verbal rhetoric. Um, We're gonna look at how we assess it and how we can apply DNS. Now, before I go any further, what is DNS? Well, DNS, or as it stands for, is Dynamic Neuromuscular Stabilization. Now, the simplest way to think about it is it is a method um, to improve motor control function. So, in an essence, it is um, an application or a method that we can use to practice movements and exercises that are specifically targeted at improving neural pathways, to create more coordination and control of the body. Essentially, what we're trying to do with this is we are trying to improve the motor control of specific body parts and movements. Now, how does DNS use this? Well, it uses breath and movement-based exercise treatment that prioritizes the focus on stability to improve pain, dysfunction, and performance. It's based on the scientific principles of developmental kinesiology, which looks at the 12-month maturation patterns of infants and babies or newborns. Specifically focuses on the neurophysiological aspects of the locomotion system. So a little bit confusing, so I'll try and simplify it. Essentially what it is, it's movement prescription exercises in the form of things like, you might have seen that looks a little bit like yoga, it looks a little bit Pilates, even Tai Chi in different aspects but it is more prescriptive-based exercises and movements that are really driven from the nervous system development that we receive um, throughout infancy periods or that first 12 months of maturation. And the simplest way of thinking about this, and I've talked about this with previous examples in the past of developing movement control and coordination, is that we are born with a software. We are born with a default sof- software like an iOS system essentially. And as we go through phases of maturation and into our adult lives, our environment constructs and interferes with that software. So from birth, we have a natural software development, providing there aren't any predisposed diseases or um, issues with the um, maturation of of the brain and its systems, um, that we will learn how to crawl, how to walk, how to stand, how to sit, how to squat throughout the first 12 months of maturation. What we do with DNS prescription is that as adults evolve and develop different postural biases and are exposed to different environmental constraints that essentially create viruses in this software system, is we go back to that first 12 months of natural maturation to reteach the brain the coordination patterns of correct movement control. Um, and there's a few key principles that we look into that. Before we do, for a um, prescriptive perspective, we look at the movement prescription across that 12 months of maturation um, from a prone perspective and a supine perspective. So for those who aren't quite sure or following along, prone referring to things on the belly or when we're looking towards the ground and supine being when our back is on the ground. Now moving across to the principles that really define what DNS is or what DNS looks at from a principles-based approach is one of the key elements of DNS is respiration. So we're looking at the uptake and expiration of oxygen and how that role of the respiratory system plays on the posture and the structure of the skeletal spine, the rib cage, and pretty much the whole torso region. Another key principle is joint centration. You might have heard this through things like joint stacking um, in the past, where you're looking at balancing joints on top of each other to maintain as much stability as possible. So one of the key things that DNS is looking to create is a more stable base or a more stable position. Looking at body awareness, which focuses on two elements, and that's motor control and proprioception, which we'll go into in a little bit. We then have joint and core stabilization, which is in its application is more or less like our traditional core work. Um, And then we have our quality of support or using external stimulus or resources to give feedback, usually through palpation or hands-on or resistance bands or something like that to provide more stimuli for the nervous system to recognize um, the movement deficiency or the movement dysfunction. So when we're looking at respiration, we're looking at three phases of respiration to occur. Now the first phase is we wanna make sure that the individual can get anterior elevation um, as they breathe in. What we're specifically looking for is encouraging a breath into the diaphragm for expansion to occur below the rib cage, and we want an anterior elevation to occur where we see a rise and fall in the belly button. Once we're able to establish this with the individual, we can start to tap into that basic motor control and that basic body awareness. And it starts with the breath, the same way mindfulness works, the same way different breath-based training works. When we breathe and when we focus on our breathing, we internalize and we are able to concentrate on one specific thing. And it makes the context of movement and coordination much easier for the nervous system to process once we've achieved this. The second breath um, respiration focus is lateral, lateral expansion and generally through the oblique region. So below the ribcage and above the iliac crest or the hip bone on the lateral aspects. So once we get rise and fall on the belly button, we also wanna see encouragement of rise and fall with the lateral expansion. The third phase of respiration we're looking for is posterior expansion. Posterior expansion is generally the hardest to encourage, especially with people who aren't um, aware of this or or know where to start with with their breathing and awareness. And essentially what we're looking for is the erectors, so the lower back region where your back tends to curve in a little bit. Not necessarily where the spine is exactly, but where the erectors sit on um, parallel to the spines we should want to see a rise and fall in this area too and what we start to do is when we can start to encourage our diaphragm to expand anterior laterally and posteriorly what we start to notice as well is that our posture starts to naturally sit a little bit more comfortable our shoulders will sit in a nice and defaulted position and our hips will generally be square People who struggle with this will generally have structural um, deficiencies across their shoulder and hip joints through this process. So it's kind of the starting point that we want to encourage. And we'll generally do this through a supine or a seated position, um, encouraging that breath to occur. Um, The next category I was talking about earlier with principles is joint centration. And that's where we're looking at optimal joint position. What we're trying to achieve is two main functions. maximal, Maximal muscle pull, or what strength and conditioning coaches like to think of as force production. So positioning the joint in the position that's gonna apply the most force, it's also going to provide as much stability as possible. So when we're doing the DNS movements, having this joint centration is gonna give the most stability to the body, ensuring that we spread the load evenly across the body. And then the second function of that is to protect passive joints. So when we create joint centration, when we create activation of each joint, the passive joint structures that aren't involved in the movement are protected by the, the other joints absorbing the load. Another key principle I just touched on earlier is body awareness and we're looking at two main concepts here. We're looking at motor control and proprioception. When we're looking at motor control, we're looking at the body's ability to coordinate itself in a certain movement sequence. Generally speaking, we wanna move proximally to distally. This is a general movement function that we wanna to, want to occur. And what I mean by that is we wanna move from as close to the center of mass as possible and then as far away after that. So in when movement occurs, we want it to happen from the shoulder and the hips before it happens at the knee and the feet or the elbow and the hands. If we have that body awareness to control and coordinate movement approximately distally, we're going to be really efficient and effective in how we create stability, how we create force production and different elements. When we look at proprioception, we're looking at the body's ability to uptake information around it. One of the key things with DNS and when people have uh, movement viruses in in their coordination is it generally comes down to their inability to take up the environment around them through different um, postural positions. So if we're practicing different movements like um, a prone bear, which is essentially a bear crawl position, and we're asking them to move their leg, that's going to be a different position than if we're in a supine dead bug position in reference to how their hip and their body coordinates that movement because the context of the environment and that proprioceptive awareness is different. So when we're looking at improving body awareness, we're taking into effect both the motor control elements and the proprioceptive elements. So without going too much further already, we can start to see how the role or the application of DNS um, prescription and exercises starts to tick off a lot of our general concepts that we wanna see in movement competency. We wanna see joints move proximally to distally. We wanna see stable movement patterns. Generally, we wanna see anti-flexion extension rotation of the spine, which I'm about to touch into. We wanna have proprioceptive awareness and motor control enhancement. We wanna have controlled breathing as well as we inhale and exhale and we're able to brace through that core region. Without directly focusing on these things, the application of DNS as a method starts to tick off a lot of these things. So as coaches, we love to see this because now we can see the value of how something can all apply to our practice. As we move on to joint and core stabilization, it's probably the the major focus and and what we're focusing on here and hopefully it doesn't differ too much with already a lot of your core training principles is that we're looking at neutralization of the spinal region. So specifically, I'm talking about minimizing flexion extension and rotation of the spine itself but not the body okay so the the biggest one we look for here is that we look for a straight line from the eye line to the belly button throughout movement the body is welcomed and encouraged to rotate it's welcome to flex and extend but it shouldn't happen at the compromise of movement from the eyes uh, clavicle line nipple line or sternum and belly button and what you want to think about as we look at dns movements whether it be Things like a, a thread movement where you're in a, a bare position and you're threading one leg through, is that as the athlete or individual rotates, they should still maintain a linear position from their eyes, clavicle, sternum, and belly button, whilst rotating through the hips and the shoulder joint. That's the key element, is that we want to flex, we want to extend, and we want to rotate, but not at the compromise of the spinal movement. And there's a range of reasons for that that we understand from core stabilization principles, but it's the same thing in what we focus from, from a DNS perspective. So the key things we look at when we're looking at core movements is basically to fit a DNS model, does the belly button stay in the same position? Does it move from side to side? Is there an alignment issue there? Where does the eyes go through core movements? Does it change? The direction of sight throughout the movement compared to where the belly button faces, does the spine length change? And that's generally going to be from rotation flexion extension of the spine. So without necessarily changing what you already do, if you just change the KPIs or the key performance indicators for what you're looking for within the movement, you can start to see if you're going to be applying DNS principles or DNS KPIs within your movement selections already. The final aspect we look at is the quality of support. And this is more a manual, hands-on approach. And it looks like massage, it looks like corrective techniques, but essentially what you're doing is you're identifying where the individual really lacks that awareness, where they lack that proprioceptive control um, or or movement control. And we're providing external stimuli either through hands-on approach by palpating or pushing on a certain body structure or allowing resistance band work to provide external resistance to exaggerate that movement deficiency or that movement dysfunction. So a classic one that I use a lot is in a supine position where people have a high rib flare position. What we can see is the lower back is off the ground. We want to encourage diaphragmatic breathing, which should settle down the rib position. It should encourage a simpler pathway for the diaphragm to expand through the respiratory system and increase core activation as a byproduct. What tends to happen is that the natural posture from our environmental constraints is that rib flares a fair bit. And so what we can do by that is as the individual exhales, we can press down on the lower rib portion and encourage that rib to stay down whilst the individual starts to breathe in and out. Generally, what will happen in this experience is the individual starts to inhale and exhale a little bit easier because we're lining up that pathway to be a little bit more efficient. What tends to happen as well is that now the neck and shoulders will come off the ground, so external resistance pressing through one ribcage and the opposite shoulder will start to lengthen that out a little bit. When we facilitate with breath and control and mindfulness, what tends to happen is that the individual's nervous system starts to understand and become aware of that extra range of motion or that postural position, and it can start the reprogramming process. Now this doesn't happen overnight, it doesn't happen straight away, it happens in the same sense where we reference our conscious competence model moving from unconsciously incompetent to unconsciously competent. What we're trying to create is moments of realization for the individual to acknowledge their postural deficiencies or their dysfunctions or their movement dysfunctions, facilitate a position or an exercise that exposes that and challenges that and allows the nervous system to recognize the dysfunction versus the function. Once the nervous system can recognize a function often enough, it'll start to bias that as its preferential movement pattern. And that's how we can really start to rewire some of these movement control um, issues. Where I think this gets really, really valuable from a sports application perspective is not necessarily from a t- technique refinement perspective, um, but from an injury reoccurrence perspective where you have the same muscle group or the same discomfort occurring over time and time again, all of those overuse injuries, really come from a movement dysfunction that's not being addressed and the reason why it's not being addressed is for, for, for a range of reasons firstly you might not identify it secondly you might not see value in spending time um, addressing it thirdly you might find that it's just too much it's too invasive and it's stopping you doing your training where dns can become really, really valuable as, as a regenerative practice where it's not stressing um, your muscle systems and your um, cardiorespiratory systems to an extent where it elicits fatigue is this can be used as an extra form of training to address those key movement dysfunctions which are occurring in the unconsciously incompetent phase where we can really isolate it and break it up and over time start to transition it into your daily movement capacities. So in terms of its application, what we like to look for is we do it a couple of ways. We do it within our warm-up or our movement prep. So we've identified movement deficiencies either through movement screenings or through breath enhancement, uh, sorry, not breath enhancement, breath assessment techniques. And we've identified some key valuable areas that we can focus on. Generally for a lot of people, it's a high stress short breath, which is heavy shoulders um, elevation. And we want to encourage deep, long, steady, mindful and controlled um, diaphragmatic breaths. Then we start to focus on anti rotation, flexion, extension movements which facilitates a lot of our same core principles that we want to do. And we're trying to look at creating stability across the body. This happens through our movement preparation phase. What we get as a byproduct of focusing on stability is a reduction in mobility stress. So generally the body's mobility restrictions are driven by stability weakness. So the body recognizes that it's not stable in an area and what it will do, the nervous system will look to protect that area by restricting movement because it is afraid if it opens up movement the, the risk of something going wrong is quite um, high. And so where that's where that movement awareness and that body awareness um, proprioception comes into it. So we look at that from a movement preparation perspective. We don't focus too much on our strength um, and conditioning movements per se. And the reason being for that is because we're doing those movements for different reasons. Where it can get really convoluted and confusing is when you start applying principles across spaces or in different lanes. DNS is, um, serves its purpose from a movement coordination perspective, when I'm doing strength exercises, I'm generally using it from a muscle, muscular development or a, um, a hardware development. So I'm looking at changing the structure of the body as opposed to the software or the movement control. There is an indirect focus on the movement control which comes from DNS, um, but the focus of that exercise is there's a compromise on movement within a certain bandwidth that we're happy with that's still facilitating the muscular development goal, then we will pursue that. If it starts to take over all your training The same with any method, it becomes too much of one thing. So if everything was about speed, power, we'd find the body would break down, we'd have no coordination. If everything was about coordination, we'd never strengthen the structures of the body and we'd just be a, a skinny mess. So it's a balance and an art in terms of how you apply it. The third area, and what I think is probably the most effective area, is a regenerative approach. Similar to how you prescribe yoga sessions or Pilates or something like that, DNS has a low fatigue cost. And what I mean by that is its application as a training flow session similar to a yoga practice for a 15 or 30 minute flow is it facilitates recovery, it recognizes the body slowing down, it allows the opportunity for mindful movement to occur where you are paying attention to your presence, how you're moving and what is happening around you. And that can be really, really valuable from an education experience to then bring into context in training in different phases. So the way I look at it is it's the best way to tap into that movement coordination phase of training. And for me and our philosophy at APEs, we have pretty much a three-pronged approach. Train the brain, train the muscles, and train the heart. And what I mean by that is we want to train the heart from a conditioning perspective and from a fitness perspective. We want to train the muscles from a strength perspective and a robustness perspective. And then we want to train the brain from a motor skill development perspective and a motor control development perspective. They are our three main systems that we require for physical preparation and performance. And so from my perspective, from our perspective as well, dns application within that motor control space looking at the nervous system and controlling that is a fantastic way to facilitate that we bias it a little bit over other methods like yoga and pilates and stuff for the above mentioned um, discussion points in this podcast i don't need to you know i might have convinced you today from listening to this that you'll jump on the, the dns bandwagon it is a really really valuable method to learn and understand and apply to your training where it's appropriate If you found any of this stuff interesting today, please feel free to contact us to find out more. We love talking about this and growing awareness and and value for for where DNS fits in from an injury prevention perspective, from an injury performance, from a performance enhancement perspective, and from a regenerative approach to to training um, and recovery. So hopefully there's some value in it there for you. As again, if you've got any questions, feel free to contact us, info at athleteperformanceeducation.com, um, or follow us and find us on our socials, athleteperformance underscore ed. That's a wrap for today. Stay tuned for another podcast soon.